This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome back to the 343 Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the show. I hope that you find it beneficial. I hope that you find it educational. Let's get into this episode. There are more young American players making waves in European club soccer than ever before. More and more teenagers are signing professional contracts domestically and abroad. So I think it's safe to say there hasn't been this much excitement about an entire generation of American players in many, many years. But how did they get to where they are? Who actually developed these players? What other factors were involved in them making it? And when I say make it, I'm using air quotes. Some other questions. Why are European teams so interested in American players? Why are certain European countries more interested than others? Why are MLS starting to change their tune about training compensation and solidarity payments? These are all important questions and topics, and through a series of podcast episodes, we're going to start exploring the process of American youth development and advancement, tracing as far back as we can to see what actually went into the making of some of the most prominent American players and some of the most exciting future prospects. We'll examine some of the roadblocks, policies, and procedures that have helped and hindered players. We'll talk about some names that you are familiar with, and we'll talk about some names that you're not. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to tell you about two programs that 343 offers. One is for ambitious soccer coaches, and the other is for parents and for players that are looking for help with individual training outside of the team training environment. All right, we'll start with coaches. Coaches, chances are that you are looking for a proven possession-based methodology to study and a proven practitioner to learn from. 343's premium coaching membership program provides exactly that. This program doesn't just show you that good possession soccer can be played in America. It shows you how you can use the same gold standard training methods to help your teams play it too. Real footage of practice sessions and real footage of games allows you to see and hear how Brian Clyburn has repeatedly built some of the strongest youth teams and youth players in the country over the course of the last decade. You'll also get eBooks, audio interviews, and additional support from members only forums to help assist you in your coaching development. To learn more about the benefits of joining the 343 Premium Coaching Membership, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, parents, it's your turn now. Parents, you want what is best for your players, right? A lot of parents are looking for a better and a smarter approach to personal training. Personal training is expensive, it's confusing. Uh, A lot of times parents don't know exactly what they're getting when they sign up for personal training. It's a hassle. But the 343 Masterclass will make your life easier by providing you exactly what you need within a simple, powerful, and affordable all-in-one solution to individual player development. In fact, we use the stories of professional players and families that we've worked with, players like Ulianes and Alex Mendez, to demonstrate how 343's unique approach to individual training and mentorship can help you and your player get the most out of your valuable time. To learn more about this exclusive online course to help your player with individual development and mentorship, you can visit 343masterclass.com. 
All right, let's get into today's episode. I'm super excited to start talking about a lot of this stuff. And let's kick it off by talking about who should actually be claiming credit for developing a player. This is something that I became interested in when I started to see more and more players labeled as MLS homegrown players. But after digging into their stories, I realized that they hadn't spent very much time in MLS academies or even in the development academy at all. And I started to think about that and I started to wonder if that's right or not. In fact, Tristan Bowen, the first ever MLS homegrown player, was initially scouted at a camp that he had to pay his way into. To go one step further, he had to use a fake ID to sign up for the camp because he was actually too young to get in. So after paying his way and using a fake ID to get in, LA Galaxy ended up liking him and they offered him a contract. Not only did they offer him a contract, they offered him a homegrown contract, the first ever homegrown contract. And Tristan had never played a game for LA Galaxy's youth teams. So that's a bit misleading, right? Another example that I thought was interesting is Darlington Nagby, a player that has been used in advertising campaigns at U.S. Development Academy events. Now, the Development Academy was formed in 2007, but Darlington was already off to Akron to play for Caleb Porter by 2008. So to claim the Development Academy played a major role in his development is, again, a bit misleading, right? I don't know if you want somebody that only spent one year in the Development Academy to be plastered all over the posters that you have at your events. That doesn't seem like it's the right message to send, but I think I understand why it happened. That brings us into today's topic. Who developed him? A player makes it, in air quotes again, and then everyone who's ever touched him claims development credit. So who's responsible? All of them? Some of them, none of them, and how can credit or blame be distributed? Age is definitely a factor. So at what ages was a certain player under the tutelage of a certain coach or at a certain club? Much is made of the golden years, which depending on who you talk to, can range from birth all the way to U12. And while there are truths in that meme, the reality is that the entire trajectory is critical. The vast majority of the potential created in the golden years is technical, and technical development during this time happens first and foremost on the player's own time and or playing in informal settings like street soccer. Again, the golden years serve mostly to elevate the potential of players. What is lost in that discussion is that potential is useless unless realized. And that's where coaching at the older ages is absolutely crucial. Coaches here must have the capacity to take that nice, beautiful slab of marble and form a sophisticated footballer out of it. If anywhere, say between U10 to U20, that marble isn't being properly sculpted, that player's development is getting screwed. You need goddamn Michelangelos throughout the age groups that can take that potential from the golden years and realize it. The US is a very tricky monster in that the players who make it pro here are not a reflection of proper and deliberate development. It is far and away a reflection of the time put in by the player himself, pedigree, crude physical attributes, and circumstance. None of which are bad things, but they are not development attributable to a coach. Circumstance. That's another very important topic. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. 
Moving on. Time is another major factor. Here are some thoughts on time. One year is sufficient time for a coach to considerably develop or considerably damage a player. One year with a master is not the same as one year with an average Joe. Time spent with average Joes hurts, not helps, development. If anywhere along a player's trajectory, he's been with mediocre or worse coaches, that player's ultimate peak has been negatively impacted. It may be 80% of what a player is comes outside of the formal training environment, but that remaining 20% is like a swing vote. That 20% can make or break you. But let's be clear, not make or break you in the making it pro sense, because total junk becomes pro here, rather in the sense of achieving the qualities of a sophisticated footballer. The difference between having that or not is in the finest of details. The question is what coaches, if any at all, had a meaningful and positive contribution to that 20%, specifically to those details, and what coaches were actually a waste of that player's time. These are terribly difficult, if not impossible, things to conclude by the masses which is a principal reason why every single coach who's laid hands on a player can and will continue to claim credit. And that is why we are going to continue digging into the history of top players and prospects to make sure you know what's what and who's who. Here's the thing that I really, really want to make clear. In American soccer, there is a serious effort to highlight things like homegrown players and the time spent in development academies. But there is an equally powerful campaign to eliminate any mentioning that does not benefit the development academy, major league soccer, or U.S. soccer. And the lack of recognition to those outside of that network is particularly concerning considering there's already no financial compensation flowing back to the original sources of the player's development. Now, those are topics we will cover in future episodes. Those are juicy topics. I'm sure you're already foaming at the mouth to hear more about that. But I want to circle back and end this episode by talking about matters of circumstance which impact a player's trajectory, or in some cases, their disappearance from the face of the earth. You see, who makes it versus who doesn't is just as much a matter of circumstance as it is a player's actual quality. An American player born with a European passport has a much different potential trajectory than an American player born without one. In his Players' Tribune article, Christian Pulisic highlighted that his Croatian passport was a key ingredient in his development process. Why is that? Because it unlocked the door to Dortmund. And there are no shortage of people who rightfully point out that if Christian would have stayed in Pennsylvania, he probably would have been playing some USL or college soccer during the time when Dortmund injected him into the UEFA Champions League. There are a lot of stories like this. Ben Letterman, That's a name that you might not be familiar with. Some of you might know who that is. But Ben Letterman was the first American to be invited to join FC Barcelona's La Masia. He wasn't some phenom or out-of-this-world player. He was a player with good qualities and potential before he left to Spain. But here are some things that Ben had going for him and some questions for you to think about. He was playing in Southern California. What if, instead, Ben had been playing in Montana? 
Ben had a team manager that had made a connection with a little club that at the time happened to have a close relationship with FC Barcelona. What if that connection didn't happen? The decision was made and made possible economically to take Ben's team to compete in Barcelona. What if that didn't happen? Barcelona agreed to play a match against Ben's team. What if they hadn't agreed for whatever reason? Now, in that game, Barcelona rolled out their B team for the match, probably thinking that they were going to destroy this little fan club from America that wore FC Barcelona jerseys. And then all of a sudden, Ben's team jumped out to a 3-1 lead. Then, Barca rolled out their A squad. It didn't matter, though. The final score ended 4-1, and Spanish eyes opened, which brings up some more what-ifs. What if Barcelona rolled out their A team from the very beginning? What if Ben's team was not as talented individually as it was? If Ben's team was not at sufficient level and they got thrashed, would he have been identified? Would a trial have been arranged the following year? Or what if Barca had an outrageous crop of players that already existed on that team? Would they have made room for Ben? Now, we could go on and on with the what ifs. But yes, yes, you need to have a requisite quality or potential as a player. But there's so much more to it than that. How many other players across the nation could be in Ben's shoes if their matters of circumstance lined up? How many former college players would have been drafted if their team made it to the college cup instead of never making the tournament to begin with? How many current MLS players wouldn't be pro if they haven't landed on the right college team? Would Jermaine Jones have even smelt the national team jersey if Marcelo Bielsa was the national team coach? Would Dempsey have been playing Champions League with a top 10 club if his matters and circumstance were different? Again, we could do this all damn day. But here's the problem. It seems to me that it's difficult to appreciate the magnitude of these things. Human beings tend to simplify the world around them so they may navigate it. We are creatures of generalizations, particularly when it comes to topics we're ignorant or novices in. I don't mean that as a dig, but it's just the truth. It's far easier to have a blanket worldview where the cream rises to the top than to take the difficult journey of acquiring domain expertise. It's far easier to believe Josh Gatt was among the very best produced American players than to say he was primarily there due to matters of circumstance. The same can be said for players like Breck Shea, Julian Green, Andrew Carlton, Anthony Robinson, and so on. How much is a particular player's situation due to quality versus circumstance? Well, that requires some expertise in what quality means and appreciation for what the field of circumstances are, doesn't it? Every time you reach another level of domain of understanding or sometimes just experience, you realize that things aren't as simple as they seem from the outside. By the way, Ben Letterman, the now 19-year-old player originally from Southern California, just signed a professional contract with a team in Poland's first division. In the next few episodes, we will start dissecting the past of some very, very prominent American players, and we'll start looking at the future for some bright prospects that are in the American soccer pipeline. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and you can subscribe to this podcast on all major podcast providers and apps like iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Play, Alexa, all those things. Uh, just search 343FM and it should pop up. If you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating. And if you really enjoy it, maybe leave us a comment. And that way other people can see what you enjoyed about the show and see if they want to take a listen as well. Don't forget that you can check out 343coaching.com for the only coaching methodology and education program that has been proven to work here in the U.S. soccer environment. And parents, you can also check out 343masterclass.com for a better and more affordable solution to individual training and mentorship. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. You can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.